And as I call in the east, I walk into the stream. And as I call in the south, I bring water to my mouth. And as I call in the west, the creek swallows my chest. And as I call in the north, I am swallowed by her source. Hello everyone and welcome to Rio Cosmico, a podcast about healing. The Rio Cosmico podcast is brought to you by Rio Cosmico Homestead, our seasonal ceremonial microvillage and library of earth magic. I'll be your host, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman, and as always, gracias, hahom, goramayagat. Thank you for listening. For season two of the podcast, we invited a series of guests to join us for conversations around a theme that's close to my heart and very much alive in my present experience the relationship between creativity and resilience. Together, we explore how the arts can help us to regard our traumas as gateways to deep personal and collective transformation, reclaim our creativity, be the versions of ourselves we came here to be, and co-create the world we most long to see. Oh, it's good to see you. Oh, yeah, so good to see you too. Thank you so much, just personally for saying yes and stepping into creating something together oh yes i was thrilled i love the invitation see yeah so just a little prayer before calling up our ancestors all the lineages of all our mother and father's ancestry inviting them to be here with us today and guide us through this podcast that they bring the words that needs to be shared and heard out there, that they bring those words to our mouth and to our heart and to our mind, and that we are blessed for this connection that we are doing today together so that um, we can make this a better world. Ha-hum. Ha-hum. Today we are joined by Dominican Taino folk researcher, singer, songwriter, community builder, and healer, Akutu, or grandmother, Irka Mateo. Welcome, Irka. We're incredibly honored to be sharing this conversation with you today. Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much for the invitation, for talking and sharing here to you and uh, the community that you have built. So we are interested in kind of entering into the conversation through the portal of how I first learned about your work in this way that many of our Taino relatives are reconnecting in these times through Instagram. So a sister of mine that goes by the creative name Lady Soulfly had posted a group 
the photo about a group of people and tagged a group of people, including you, who had successfully conspired to have a statue of Christopher Columbus removed from a prominent location. So this was my uh, entry point into who you were and who you are. And so in that moment, I just felt so much relief and gratitude that there were people that have power, real power in the community and applying that power to making things right, to uh, restoration. And, and setting things right that don't feel good in these times. And so since then, I've enjoyed your work as a musician and then was ecstatic to learn that you were also a healer and ceremonial leader and sharing your work more in bringing the community together. I just kind of want to honor how much you're uplifting the tribe in these challenging times. Yeah. And in through all these layers, wanting to in today hear a little bit more about you like the the person uh, so where you were born the culture in the home you grew up in in your family and what some of the challenges of your early life were that you can now see were necessary to overcome to become a, like a really nurturing presence in the community today so well, about my home, I come also from a mixed family. We are indigenous, African, and European. I have these the three presences very present, <laughs> you know, in my in my life. And so everything started because two of my grandparents they come from this region in the west, southwest that is the province of San Juan de la Maguana. So as you see, and for those who don't know who are listening, Maguana is in the name of this province. That is like a, the equivalent of a state in the here. So in the times of colonization, this was one of the casicasgos, which means it, which means a place where there was a main chief. We had, in those times, we had five different casicascos ruled by five different chiefs. So these two grandparents, a grandmother, a maternal, and a, and a grandfather's family paternal, they came from this place. So Maguana was one of these casicascos that was governed by Kaunabo and Anacaona who are today the most revered and loved caciques or chiefs that we had in the colonial times. So Anacaona, she was born and she was a cacica in another cacicazgo that is called Jaragua, which was in the south of Maguana. She was the sister of this cacique and when he died, he passed the chieftain to her. But then she also married Kaunabo, who was the chief of Maguana, and she came to rule there. So she was this woman at the time that the, that the colonizers arrived, she has been the chief of two different cacicascos from three out of three in the islands. So my family comes from Maguana, where she ruled with Kaunabo. And today they are elevated, you know, to, to titis 
in, in our popular religion that we have three of them, and the three of them are practiced in the San Juan de la Maguana, they are deities and people, they pray to them and people do offerings to them and, and they, they do songs for them. So their memory is very much alive in this place. I want also to add that uh, the southwest of the Dominican Republic was the center of the Taino culture. Here is where we spoke the, the best Taino, there were the economic um, relations were, were held, the political. So it was like it was like the capital, we could say, of the Taino culture. So Anacaona and Kaunabo, they had a lot of responsibilities. But there is something uh, that is very important too, is that um, the chiefs, when they were caring to their people, they were believed, in general, they were believed to be the representation of the sun on earth. This is why that we can find these images of the caciques wearing a necklace that goes here and here we can see a circle which represents the sun so because they bring all the this bounty to earth and they, they bring the bounty to to the people so this cacique's representation of the sun on earth they used to do the the sun ceremonies which are the winter solstice uh, they, and the two equinoxes, the spring and then the, the summer solstice and the fall equinox. They used to celebrate this there. In this province and in this um, town that is called San Juan de la Maguana, there is the biggest astronomical site that we have in the Caribbean. is is huge. It's very, very big. And there we used to have celebrations with the uh, the caciques from the islands, people, other other caciques and other people from the surrounding islands will come. We will observe the sky because at the time we were very good astronomers and that we will play our ball game there too, which is very similar to the ball game in Mexico. It is called Batu, and there we will also do our ceremonies for connecting to the ancestors, for guiding the community and also the agricultural cycles. So as you see, San Juan de la Maguana was a very, very important place in the, in the times of the colony. And it is also a mystical place because many important things for our history have happened there. There was later, some 400 years later, there was the birth of our revered curandero and spiritual leader, Liborio Mateo. He was also born there and he's somebody who made a very big difference in the spirituality in the Dominican Republic. And one of these popular religions that we have in the Dominican Republic, which are syncretic, is dedicated to him. So you see the impact that he had. It is a fascinating story that he has that maybe I will talk about a little bit more because this is um, 
This is very important in on what I am today. And my family comes from this lineage of the Mateos from from San Juan de la Maguana, my grandfather. So it is something that has been running in the family and we are very grateful to have. Liborio Mateo, he was a peasant that didn't speak very much and will do who will be, will be uh, working on his farm. And one day there is this recount that one day he was abducted by a saint, San Antonio, and he was brought to the heavens. This is syncretic. So he met with God there and God asked him to take care of half of the world and of the navel of, of the world, which is San Juan de la Maguana, because it's the center of the island and it's the center of the Taino culture, so that he was going to take care of the other half. So he came back, and he came back from heaven with the healing powers and also with the sweet word of spirituality. He started to, to perform miracles, and he started uh, healing the people, and he became so powerful that uh, people from all over the island will come. He was an Afro-Indigenous man who used to heal with uh, these uh, roots and herbs called tirindanga. And he will also heal touching the people, just putting their hands in the people and dancing dancing to the rhythms of the palos, which is one of our percussion folkloric music, and also to the accordion music that we have there. So he had a very a different method of, uh, of also healing and through joy too. So as he became so popular, the government started to be worried that he could want some political power. We were talking, we are talking about 1918. And those times we were also having the first invasion of the United States in the Dominican Republic. There was in Haiti and the Dominican Republic will had some debt and to the United States, so uh, this was um, the excuse that they invaded and they took care of all our ports so that they could charge the debt that we had. So the Marines were there, the government was there, and they were worried. So they had this meeting and they decided to eliminate him. So this moment, he became a fugitive and he went to the mountains. He had 100 men protecting him, uh, peasants too, that had got some guns and, and you know some arms and horses. But he also had all the people who would be following him for, uh, for healing. So people would know where he was and they would go there in procession, singing and getting to these mountains that are very high. There are some that are 3,500 meters I don't know in feet, but this is very high. So people will gather there, and he was also traveling with the people who will cook, with the people who will do, you know, little, not houses, but some dwellings so that they can pass the night, and, and also with the musicians. He will travel with the musicians. So he was a fugitive in these big mountains and healing the people who arrived and just hiding, you know. He had 17 encounters with the Marines and the, and, and the government, 
and uh, finally they had him and they killed him and his son that was with him. My grandmother on the other side was five years old in the time that they killed Liborio and she saw him because they brought him from the mountain and they showed him in the park of San Juan so that people wouldn't attempt to be worshiping him because this is what was going to happen to them. So this worshiping like went underground and people kept praying to him and asking him for healing and uh, going to a place where he will heal that is called Aguita de Liborio, that is, um, is, it is the, the birth of a river so they will go there, but at a time, then we also closed that. So, but he became the, we call him El Santo Vivo de la Maguana. We call him the Alive Saint of Maguana because they, they think that uh, he's here and that he's still able to heal the people. So there is all this um, uh, spiritual current that is called Liborismo, which is, um, which stands there with his wisdom um, saying that we need to all be um, brothers and sisters, that we need to help each other. He was a humanitarian. So this place, La Guita de Liborio, which is um, there in San Juan, it is also a um, guard by Anacaona and Caunabo. So they are the three main deities and the ancestors that we have in this place, which is totally Dominican. No, so to the spiritual current that involves just the indigenous people, we call it agua dulce. We call it fresh water, and this is um, this spiritual current. It is not syncretic. We don't have anything that belongs to the Catholicism or the African religions. We are just uh, worshiping the caciques and, uh, and, our, and our indigenous deities, and we just use stones. It's a very animist um, altar that we have. So also in the times of my grandmother, who saw Liborio, when she was growing up, there were this festival, it was like, it was a big celebration where they were picked this woman, a young woman, because Anacaona was very young, and when she was also killed by the conquistadors. When uh, they arrived, she was, the, they were the last, uh, the last territory that they didn't have conquest, and uh, they went to meet her. And, uh, and take her prisoner. She didn't know that. So there were 80 caciques there and uh, they were just wanted to make her prisoner so that they could have the whole island for them. So they, in that they killed 80 caciques alive. They burned a big hut and that uh, they took Anacaona and then, and then they killed her. This was at the time the governor of the island was Nicolás de Obando. So that happened and this happened there and in this Patein, which is the astronomical center, we were still worshiping that when my grandmother was, um, when she was a teenager, she was five years old when, when Liborio was killed in 1922. So like 10 years later in like 1937, something like that, this was a, a serious celebration that they had worshiping Anacaona and also Caunabo. But it was mainly her because she is, they consider her la reina del pueblo, the queen. They call her the queen of their 
town. And they will pick this woman who would like, like they imagine she will be. And uh, in the center of this bate, there is a stone where laying down on the ground where they say that she will sit because there is a lot of imagery around this. And they will do ceremonies and they will play the folkloric music of the accordion or the palos, which are three long drums. Um, drums and that uh, they will they will make food that you know that has to do with the yuca which is our main staple and our main offering uh, they will do cassabe which is our bread from the yuca and many other desserts made out of uh, maize and uh, yuca flour and all that because we think that the taino people don't eat with salt they just eat sweet things because their power is sweet. We say that the the woman was, you know, the deities gave the woman the yuca to take care of. And the yuca gives a sweet heart and a sweet word to the women so that they can take care of the of the things on earth. And the men they were given like the tobacco and uh, and the cojoba so that they can take care of the things pertaining to the sky. So there we will eat all these sweets and also in the altars in San Juan de la Maguana, what we have for offering is the cassave and many sweet things, even candies and colored juices and, uh, and, and a lot of desserts. So this was happening when my abuela, she was a teenager. So I grew up listening to all these stories. And my grandmother, having been part of all these celebrations and the Liborio Mateo branch too, and everything that Liborio means, Liborio is considered the most relevant and, and also loved curandero of all times in the Dominican Republic. So all this happens in San Juan de la Maguana, where my family came from, these two branches of my family came from. And this impacted me in a big way. And also, you know, listening to other stories that our Taino people lives under the waters, the fresh waters. And, and, and all these legends that they come out, that they help people who, who are drowning in the rivers, they take them and they put them out, and that they come and they ask you if you have healing talents, they come and they ask you to heal. And uh, so I grew up with all these accounts and recounts and legends and, uh, and uh, everything mystical, magical, that we have in this place. So this is where I became very aware of our indigenous culture and our um, healing culture and the worshiping. So this was uh, the beginning in my young years. Thank you so much. I definitely had a lot of questions about more of, of that cultural context. So I really appreciate how you shared it in a way that's authentic for you, where it's it's interwoven. There's maybe not so much of a distinction between these layers of culture and like your individual self. You recognize yourself as the flower of this very rich, fertile field of magic. Yeah. So 
You mentioned that living beloved leaders like Anakawana were elevated to a position like demigods. And we see this in many different uh, world traditions. So I kind of hear the way that you would maybe do prayers or practices for them as demigods, as similar to how in the Eastern traditions there, you might do mantras for the guru and for what is beyond. And I, I think in the West that can be problematic because we have so many examples of this like colonial power or abuse of power. But separate from that, I think it's nice because it, it presents this unbroken chain or worldly success or true worldly power being the result of a connection to the divine and existing on a spectrum embodied to in the spirit world that they're not really like two distinct separate things. So I want to kind of highlight that you in the world, in your walk in the world, you are a celebrated folk musician and you have performed all over the world. Many of us here in North America might have been introduced to you and you opened for the Fugees and you have an album called Anakoana. So you're bringing all of this rich history and living myths into the culture uh, in contemporary ways. So I mentioned the Eastern traditions a lot because I am of the belief and I've received this teaching in certain lineages that if your own lineage is broken, then you can be initiated into other lineages that hold similar information as a placeholder or something to help you to reconnect with your own. And so the Eastern traditions have been that for me. And so it's a way in which I understand a lot of, of what you're saying and can translate it and then translate it back. So in the Eastern traditions, when we want to know a goddess or a demigod or a historical figure or an ancestor, there's a saying to know the goddess, you must become the goddess. And so in my mind, when I see you performing on stage and, and you're singing the song on Koana, I imagine that maybe you're not just honoring her, but maybe channeling her. Uh, would you say that that is your experience? Do you feel that you have felt embodied in that energy? Yes, I have. And so from that perspective, could you share with us a little bit about her personality, like what her strengths are, what she can represent for us as a demigod or an archetype or a, uh, a spirit guide in these times? When I was to, I used to perform this album that is called Anacaona, and I used to perform this song, I will, the first, well, one of the things that I will do, it was to put my headdress on uh, in this part of the concert. And it was, the song was at the same time a prayer. It was a prayer to her. And uh, it was Anakaona asking the people to see them as a real human beings, not just like an historical figure in the past that has been just depicted in the history books and what and that doesn't have a human connections with these generations. It was asking the people to come and be curious about who our chiefs were and who the Taino people were and uh, what 
we brought to the Dominican people of today that is unknown is to go back and discover our culture. And also in this moment, it was to bring out the power of the goddess, the power of, uh, of the women, how we women can embody our femininity and be powerful out there and be rulers out there. Because uh, she lived in the 16th centuries and the European conquistadors were not were not expecting to have a woman ruler of the most important casicasco you see so she was she was bringing this power that the feminine the women can have So by harvesting and planting and, and planting and cultivating and harvesting the heritage that you have, because she she was right, she was a casica, so it was understanding this heritage that was passing to her, and it was also cultivating her talent so that she could be a humanitarian, because this is very present in, in our in our lineage, a humanitarian and a strong leader for her people. So this was also something that was channeled for her. You need you need to understand your heritage. You need to cultivate your talents and, and put them out there from the basis of knowing what you're doing. You know, on having, I don't know the word in, in English, it is um really appropriating for yourself all this knowledge and having it clear in your mind and in your heart. I think maybe identifying, like in um, North America in during the civil rights movement, there's a, a musician that I see is similar to yourself in a way, who's, who's a musician and celebrated musician, but really was a powerful uh, force of healing and uplifting the people. Uh, and that 
she w- would say in my music, I I want to encourage these people of this generation to identify with their blackness to to actually in in that meaning like know your history and identify where some of the things maybe you think of as personal or personal challenges or personal gifts even um, where that are not that at all that come from your roots that come from the history of your people and so um, am I am I hearing you correctly? That sense of like yes. like identify with these aspects of history, yeah. Yes, yeah, identifying with uh, with the the first um, people from the island uh, because you know in the in the Dominican Republic there is a a large sector of the population that don't believe that we are still here today. No, and this mm-hmm. has been passing generation to generation due to economic reasons because you know they they really well they they did a, a very big diminishing of the population, but some population were alive still hidden in the in the mountains. So what we became was a mix with of uh, the Europeans and the and the African people. But the more pure, there is nothing pure. But you know the 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 not mixed people also went to the to the mountains. So the moment that the that the colonizers arrived, we started to transform as people because we started to be this mix, right? And and all and our knowledge, because as we were the people, that I mean the ancestors, the ancestors were the people that uh, were from the island. They knew they knew everything about it. They the geography, they know the medicinal plants, and they also had their traditions, you know, and uh, their cultures. So this was passed to the African people and the and European people because without this knowledge it would be have been impossible to live in the island because they didn't know how it was this island and what you could find anywhere so this sector of the population don't understand that that even though we also have this DNA in our in our constitution and uh, in in lesser or bigger amount because the amount of the DNA that we have is the way that we read this is who is the answer, the most the bigger percentage correspond to the closest ancestor that you have. So if you have a father who is Spanish and a mother who is an Afro-Dominican woman, you're going to have that there. You know, if, if you have a Spanish, then you are going to have a big percentage of Spanish. But it doesn't mean that you are 50% Spanish. It means that you're you know, this relative that you have just behind you is Spanish, you know. So this DNA test, they go like for five generations. So people can go in the Dominican Republic from one to 40%. So the people that are from San Juan, near to the mountains, that are peasants, they have like a very high percentage of of, um, Taino people. So even though these DNA results are there, and we know that our culture has been transmitted, the spirituality and the material culture and the oral culture has been transmitted generation to generation. This is something that it is not assessed with the enough uh, impetus, with enough uh, knowing, with enough curiosity and, uh, and, and also a way to, to reclaim this uh, indigenous culture, you know? So in the Dominican Republic, and people don't look don't look that way either you know the most of the people 
we started this movement like 35 years ago and it has been progressing little by little, little by little. Now, because of the genetics, it's, it's taking traction, you know, but this is why we are now having all these new generations embracing the, their indigenous culture. So for Anacaona, they know that because they did so much for us, fighting there in all these wars and uh, and transmitting our generation. There was a cacique in the east of the Dominican Republic Public that was saying, women, the men are disappearing, just mixed with the conquistador, just mixed with the African people, because this is the only way that we are going to survive. You know, this was something that was planned. We are those people of, uh, we are the, the seeds of these people, of our ancestors who are here. But not many people has tapped into this. So the, the ancestors they are asking us to really go back to them, to go back to them and discover them. And, and discovering them is discovering who we are because we are a, a lot them. And this makes part of us. And this will give us tools and a richness that will improve our life and, and, we, and also will honor our ancestor, which is very important in the indigenous uh, cultures because uh, the wisdom and our ways of life are in the hearts of the ancestors, are in the heart of our elders. So for us to have the best life possible, we need to go back to our ancestors and learn the old ways and mix them with these new ways that we have too, but have that as a foundation. The indigenous Taino spirituality bedrock is the communication with the ancestors. This is what we would do with our ride, the cojoba, so that um, the shamans, which are called butios, the curanderos, and the chiefs, they could govern the community and they could also it was very that also tied to the agricultural process so that we could have good crops to know uh, to know if there were going to be hurricanes that if there were going to be plagues to the yuca and that if there were going to be war so so the the ancestors were a social force you see and that without them, we would be lost. So Anacaona is asking, is asking and telling, the ancestors are the social force. They are the ones who are going to help us go ahead in the community, go ahead with our personal life. Look here, look, the elders still have all this, uh, a lot of this wisdom. Go and be curious and, uh, and, and incorporate and reclaim this uh, way of life and reclaim this uh, wisdom and all these knowledges that are still there. This is what Anacaona is saying to the people. Mm. And also what I said before is discover, you know, who you are so you can be a, a powerful feminine leader and uh, feed your talents and be knowledgeable of what you do. Be good at what you do so that you can be good and you can be good to the people. Thank you so much for that transmission uh, here in that I want to highlight some things that have been very important for my own path of reclaiming my ancestral power and validity to just be in this world, the foundation and this 
this concept of watching our language around like past and present tense. So, you know, you're speaking of that this myth that the Taino were extinct. I think that many of us carry this as the first big wound within our families and within the way we were raised to be raised having Taino blooded elders telling us standing there telling us the Taino are extinct. This is a part of our distant past. We are not connected to that. We are not African. We are not indigenous. We are of pure blood. This is something that happened in my mother's family that had living, dark-skinned, Afro-indigenous people. So this idea of um, hide your Black grandmother, this was something my mother taught me about growing up. Where where your black grandmother would be hidden in the attic or in the in a room in the house and not allowed to go out in the street because it was unsafe for the family to go out in the street with the knowledge of those roots. And so it's terrible sounding to me, but I've had to do a lot of forgiveness work to understand that all of this divorcing ourselves from our identity was all, like you said requirements intentionally planned to survive and and necessary so it gives us a picture of just how strong our ancestors were and how difficult the times were to just survive at all and this idea of you know what does it mean to survive where some people would rather die than tr- assimilate and I, I feel that I'm the descendant of people who made a choice that said, we trust. I feel it was trust, not fear. I feel it for my family that it was like a real trust in God, a real surrender and saying, okay, trust you. We're going to live. We honor life. We're going to stay alive and be available for what's on the other side of these times. And so here we are, I think, on the other side of something where it's not, it is safe for me to say, I am Taino or safer, you know, I could have some people roll their eyes at me. No one's going to kill me for this. Yes, exactly. Yes, because, you know, when you're in the Dominican countryside and people from here, from the diaspora too, I encounter uh, many people. I used to live in New York and, and work at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian. I was there for 10 years, rolling educational programs. And I had many people from the Dominican Republic who will come. And afterwards, you know, that when we were talking, they said, you know, my grandmother told me that we were Taino, but not to tell it to anybody. Yes. What we know in the Dominican countryside today. You yeah. know, like, uh, like in three generations from us, they were still knowing their identity. But I am talking about the peasants. I am talking about the people who live, you know, far from what we know as civilization. These are the people who live in the mountain, who are the descendants of the people who fled to the mountain and did their, their, you know, hidden living there. So the, the, the daughters and sons of these people were transmitted this fear and, uh, and this survival mode of, of the negation of their true identity so that they could survive. 
And this mm-hmm. is still there today in the Dominican Republic. So, you know, in this this generation, oh yeah. So it's like, um, I couldn't tell anybody that they say we yeah. are Tainos, you know? Yeah. So now those times is also something like, for example, that um, um, the people who, who were, I met this woman who was like 100 years old or something like that, very old or a little bit more. And um, she she was a Liborista. But, you know, she was um, in the times where the Liborismo went um, underground, she was young. So she kept in her heart that if she would um, identify herself as a Liborista there, she would be killed. So when I met her very in a very far countryside, and she took, she told me, I want to show you something. And she took me to her little hut, a very a Taino hut. She was a Taino woman, little, little too, like me and, you know, with, with this black hair and all that. And then she had, she lived in this hut that was some um, of dirt. And that, like if you were living 500 years ago, and that she took me to her room, and there she was unwrapping something, and at the end of everything, there was a little picture like this of Liborio Mateo. Mm. You know, she was still in fear to let pe- that the people knew that she was Liborista, even though right now you can say openly that you're a Liborista and nothing would happen to you. But this is. Uh, this trauma that we carry, the trauma of, um, you know, of all this cruelty and the trauma of, um, of being in the blink of extinction that we carry and that has been done to the people because of their spirituality and or, or because their identity as indigenous people. I do see this as a very current and very personal challenge that is here to be overcome and hopefully but you know this conversation can and be a part of that it, you know can be heard by those who who need to hear that you're not alone in that sense of what's in the way of connecting with pride in our identity and then what i also heard in your on the koana transmission is this sense of not just that we can, but almost that there's like a directive or responsibility to cultivate and share our gifts. And that is what I feel is on the other side of the trauma for what I'm seeing is this wild creativity, this very galactic almost creativity uh, coming out of those who've been through this complete process of forgetting almost completely forgetting who we are and then coming back full circle and coming into a new cycle for the Taino people, I think. Yes. Yeah, this is a a new cycle and the people out there, they are so curious and they are even so happy to know, you know, that they are the seeds of our Taino ancestors because they never expected it for centuries saying that we, you know, we were not here anymore. And then they, they get the DNA. This changed everything. They get their DNA and say, oh, this percentage of Taino blood. Oh, my God. I am indigenous too, so why have been hearing all the time that we are extinct? So the curiosity exploded and the happiness too, because this was received as a, a wonderful gift by the new generations. 
Well, I do. I can't help. I must honor you specifically in bringing forth because from, you know, in some ways the creativity is considered more of the the feminine principle in the universe and that to have an elder female embodied teacher voice example of this liberated indigenous feminine creative power is what I think we need and have been toa, toa, yes. calling out for. As yeah, like, the waters, the waters so, for fertility. Yes. It's so dry here. It's been a, so many decades, generations of dry season. Yes. So I just see you putting yourself more of yourself out there publicly as part of an answer to my generation's call for an example for a, a protector guide and so just take this opportunity to thank you very much for your thank courage you. your yes. authenticity thank you thank you thank you for you no know, opening your heart to to the path of getting to know who our ancestors were in the in those times what was being Taino meant in those times and and be Taino today. Be Taino today and incorporate it in, in your life to the point that is a, a time of life, you know, uh, a lot of spirituality because we have, a, this is the foundation of being Taino is um, a, a very strong spirituality and care about nature, including us as part of nature together mm. with our relatives, uh, the plants and the animals and the rocks and the protections of our grandparents, the elements and the four directions and above and below and our cosmic center. Thank you for just expanding the the sense of who's present when we gather and, and we speak about these things. My path up until this point, really from very young adulthood to now, has really been in women's mysteries, blood mysteries, something of the this, I like the universality of the blood mysteries, you know, that it has been a, a safe place to connect in the spirit of what we have in common. That's not bypassing or diminishing what differences of experience. And I think that's kept me alive spiritually to this point where I could lean into some of those, uh, what some might say, political dynamics of acknowledging, respectfully acknowledging the differences of privilege or, or trauma, things like that. So in this women's work, part of what we do is we do a lot of work with the names, uh, the names of the witches, the names of female power for wild, untamable, unconventional, beneficial women in archetype and, and help women to identify that part of themselves, even if that's not their primary identity to say, I do have a wild woman or a shaman or a wise woman or medicine woman within somewhere, and I can source from that wisdom. So I have kind of a list, you know, like priestess, which unconventional wisdom keeper. So yeah. you've shared with us the Kesike would be kind of something more like, and is still currently like more of um, 
third dimensional village leader, uh, logistics, politics, organization, and the would Mohutio mm-hmm. would be medicine man or medicine woman, a role that you are holding at this time. So, is there a distinction in traditional Taino culture for what might be the yoginis, the magdalens, the women studying the esoteric arts. So maybe you're not functioning as your community's medicine woman, but you have been brought into that side of life and you're being trained and you're studying to see things in a different way, to tend the relationships with the unseen world. Is there a, a special name for that practitioner, female practitioner? I'm going to tell you something before. The, the caciques could have been also bautios. So mm-hmm. being, being a, a political chief and being a medicine woman or man sometimes collide. But sometimes mm-hmm. they were just chiefs and they were just bautios. Mm-hmm. So today, what we have alive in the Dominican countryside where is that we can find the knowledge and the wisdom of our Taino women are the curanderas. So Mm -hmm. the curanderas are, they can be or spiritual or they can be physical. So they can, and they are also guides. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like the Mexican practice of platicas that, you know, you sit with them and you talk to them and then they brought counseling. They are like counselors. So this is what we have, which is uh, closest to what you are describing. So these women, these elders in the countryside, they are counselors and they can be curanderas of physical ailments or spiritual ailments. But the counseling is always there. And also divination is also part of their practice and being in trance and communicating through the trance to the ancestors and bringing answers to your question, to your quest. And they are also in charge of doing the offerings to the ancestors certain times a year. They are, you know, in the calendar, there are times in a year where you do the offerings to your ancestors, indigenous, to your Taino ancestors. And you go to the river and you bring these sweet things so that you can, they understand that you honor them and that they can give you the sweetness that you are asking for. Thank you so much for painting that picture. If you're enjoying this exploration of history and culture, stay tuned for part two, where we'll be going deeper into what Erica has to share about the reclaiming journey for survivors of attempted genocide and other folks whose culture, for whatever reason, has been lost or stolen. There's also a bonus question available to our library of Earth Magic members on Patreon, and you can click the link in our show notes today to learn about all the benefits and fun things that come with membership. As always, thank you for listening. It's a pleasure getting well with you. Here to help you enjoy the sensation Being right on the edge of your next revelation Here to help you enjoy the sensation Being right on the edge of your next revelation 
Being right on the edge of your next revelation. 